Thank you. It's the first time I've ever worn a hockey jersey. Um, just trying to fit in. The opposer, Canada Day. Um, I want to pray with you, um, but I don't want to just get into it and start talking. I want to remind us who we're about to speak to. Okay, let's, let's think about what we are about to do. You know, there, there's this passage in, in 1 Timothy 6 where it says, He, verse 15, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Okay? That's describing who we're about to speak to. Okay, as we are all in this stadium right now, the Bible says there's a being up there that no one has ever seen or can see because he dwells in unapproachable light. Okay, and we're, we're about to talk to him like, like we're not alone in this room. He's watching. He sees me. He knows what's going on in my heart, what's going on in my mind. There's a being up there like that, and it says that he alone has immortality. He alone has immortality. That, that, that means he's the only one that has life in and of himself. If you guys would do me a favor, can we just all do this together? Can everyone take the deepest breath they can take right now? Now let it go. We were only able to do that because he allowed us to right now. And, and he determines if I take another one. What does that do to you to think that there's one being who's determining every breath in this room? He alone has immortality. You were only here because he decided to create you. I mean, what if he never thought in his mind to create me or you? We wouldn't even be here. There's this one being who dwells in unapproachable light, who knows everything that's going on in all of our lives. You know, today is about unity here. And the reason why we unite is because we all agree there's a being in heaven who dwells in unapproachable light, who's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, and he deserves all the glory, all the credit, because we're just all breathing. Every breath comes from him. We just sang about that. And we all agree that he is all-powerful, and he has seen the wickedness in our lives, but that he loved us so much that rather than punishing us, which he could and he should, he sends his son and says, I, I'm going to show you love like no one's ever shown you before. I'm going to have my own son die on a cross for you. And that's why tonight has to be about him. Like we don't want to leave here thinking about any other person, 
anything else other than the fact there's this being dwelling in unapproachable light who's got a hundred million angels right now. Try to imagine a hundred million angels worshiping one throne. And now we are going to enter into his presence through prayer. So would you bow your heads with me right now? Father, right now we just humble ourselves. We come before you. And your word just reminds us that you alone are immortal. God, there's no guarantee that I will walk off this stage. It's if you will, then I will walk off this stage. If you will, then I will finish this sermon. If you will, then everyone that's in this arena will live through this sermon. You alone are all-powerful. And God, you dwell in unapproachable light. So many people on this planet are going to be in absolute shock when they see your face. And yet, Father, in all your holiness and your power, you're a God of love. And you watched your son suffer. Even in that garden when he's, when he's crying to you and saying, Father, is there any other way? And you watch that. You watch him suffer, God, for us because you love us, God. And no one will ever love us like that. No one will ever sacrifice like that. For people who've done terrible things to you, God, I've disobeyed your laws so much. And it's only because your son died on the cross that we can be forgiven. And it's because we believe he rose from the dead and he's alive today and listening to me right now. And Jesus, I just want to worship you. We want to worship you and honor you for the love you've shown us. And it's because you've put your spirit in us that we can know you and have relationship with you. And so God, I pray that you would unite us under that. Forgive us for our arrogance, trying to make things about us. You alone deserve all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Actually, it's going to hot, so I'm going to take this off if you don't mind. I'm kind of a poser anyways. A friend of mine came over to my house a few years ago. Uh, he's a pastor and a well-known speaker in, in, the, in, the, in the U.S. And we're just hanging out, and uh, he says to me one day, that, that night, he goes, he goes, Francis, do you play basketball? I said, yeah. 
He goes, when you play basketball, you don't like to pass the ball, do you? I'm like, what's that supposed to mean? And he goes, just answer the question. And I go, no, I don't like to pass the ball. I, I like to shoot. And he goes, I knew it. I'm like, how would you know that? He goes, I just see this pattern in your life. And he goes, where? He goes, sometimes I feel like you're scared to trust other people and pass the ball to someone else. And, and he was revealing something in my life where, man, I, I have a hard time trusting. I've had so many people lie to me. I've had people rip me off. I've had people disappoint me. And so, so when, I, when I started a church even, I was just thinking, you know what, I'm just going to make sure that I'm right and that, that, you know what, if I can get up front and preach a message and preach the Word of God, Lord, just bless that. But I didn't have any concept of a team or a body. And God really had to confront me with his word and show me that this is not about any one individual. What honors God is when we come together in unity. And so if our desire is to please him, he wants us to act like one body and each person being a member of that. And I'll be honest, for years, I didn't really get that. And I kind of tried to just do things by myself. And because I didn't trust people, and I'm, I'm working on that. I'm not saying I totally trust people still. Um, because I, I, I mean, you guys trust me? Kind of, right? I mean, a little bit. I mean, when I say I trust someone, it's still like a percentage, right? Where I go, ah, like 90% trust him. I 80% trust him. But to actually trust someone, to believe in someone, man, it's difficult. And I think about conflicts I had with other pastors. Um, and then those verses we heard about, that we, we had read, like, Psalm 133, where it just talks about how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And uh, there's, just, there's just things that go on. There's just struggles we have as leaders, as believers. But we've got to agree that the goal right now is that being up there, we want to please him. And so as he's looking down, what he wants is he wants us to live, not just get along with each other, but to truly be family. He wants you to look at me like I'm your own physical brother. He wants me to look at you like my brother or sister. I remember struggling with that just a few years ago and seeing this, meeting this guy on the street that just came out of prison. And, 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 and he... He ran into me in the street in the middle of San Francisco in a really bad part of town. He was coming out of a, a halfway house. You know, after years in prison, he was just coming out. And he says, wait, I know you. I read your book when I was in prison. And, I mean, this is a big guy all tatted up. I mean, it's, it's a little intimidating. And I start asking about his life, and I find out he's got nowhere to live. And he's got a wife and three kids, and he doesn't know where they're going to go. He doesn't have a job. 
He and his wife aren't getting along. He didn't really know how to be a dad, everything else. And I'm looking at him, and I'm getting to know him, and I'm thinking, wait, according to the Bible, I'm supposed to treat him like my brother. Because I see the Holy Spirit in him. And and I, I just began to think through my mind. So what does that look like if I call him brother? What would I do for my flesh and blood brother? And man, it was a terrifying thought to trust the Word of God. And so I went home. I go, honey, I met this guy. And he doesn't have anywhere to go. He's got a wife and three kids. And I'm thinking about him as my brother in Christ. Like, I would never let my brother live in the street, uncertain of his future. And I was like, do you mind if I bring them home? Okay, and mind you, I've got a lot of kids at home. And we've had other people live with us, so that was nothing new. But there were always people I knew I could beat up. And uh, <laughs> it was a terrifying thought. It scared me. But I go, man, if I, if I read this book right, I'm supposed to see beyond the exterior and love him like a brother and for my wife you know after she met him and I I bring this guy home and she's like just tell me what did he do I go I don't know what he says he didn't do it you know like what but it you, you start wrestling with the Word of God and go do I believe this or not I do see him as my brother and and so we invited him and his family to live with us and we've got a small place and I've got seven kids of my own and to bring this family of five, but I began to disciple him. My wife began to disciple his wife. My kids started to teach his kids. And um, after six months living with us, we were able to get him an apartment. And, uh, and he's a pastor now. And... Uh, He's one of my best friends. He runs our whole ministry in San Francisco now. So while I'm here, he's back there running everything. We started a discipleship house for guys coming out of prison and off the streets. Yeah, where they live and they, uh, they bunk with guys that, you know, are a little further along in life and they're mentoring them and they're all leading, you know, in their churches. And uh, we started a restaurant where, you know, they're running things. I mean, it's just this crazy thing that happened just from looking at scripture and going, man, we're supposed to be a family. The world's supposed to look and be blown away by our love. And yet, is that what they see when they come to our gatherings? Man, we're real good at gathering like these, you know, and having, having these sermons and, and singing songs, but where's the action? You know, are we, are we loving each other to where the world is amazed? These are the things I'm learning about. 
You know, another buddy of mine, you know, one day at, at church, they were uh, talking about this, 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 this guy whose wife just died, and, and, and he had no kidneys, and, and so he had to go for dialysis regularly, and he was blind, and, and someone needed to take him to dialysis like at five in the morning, and so my buddy volunteered, and, and uh, as they're at dialysis, he doesn't even know this guy. But as they're at the hospital, he's learning more and more about his condition, and it's not good. And, and at, at the end of the time at the hospital, that first day, he looks at this guy he just met, and he goes, you know what? I want to give you one of my kidneys. Man, that's insane. You just met this guy. This brother in Christ, though, and people were questioning him, going, man, you don't, he's an older man. You're going to give him your, you've got a wife, you've got kids. And he would look at Scripture and go, well, but the Bible says if you've got two shirts. You see, this is the stuff where the world looks on and goes, shut up. Are you kidding me? What did he just do? You don't do that. You don't do these things. This is what the church was supposed to be known for. Okay? The the church was not supposed to be known for great speakers or great singers or, or great programs. All those things are fine. But the church was supposed to be known for their love. Something supernatural. Another passage you guys read was uh, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 5, where it says, it says, uh, <laughs> I, I know the general idea, but I just don't want to screw it up. Okay, Philippians 2, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. My oldest daughter um, is 19. My youngest son is six months old. So I've got like everything. But uh, my oldest daughter is a worship leader at a church um, a couple hours away from me. And just this last week, I I just heard this like three days ago. Um, At her church, she says they decided that they're going to have two different services with two different styles of worship um, so that the older people can sing their hymns and then the younger people can do the Hillsong thing. And, uh, okay, so I thought, okay, that's not my favorite thing, but that's cool. But then my daughter, she's like, wait a second. Let me talk to the young people. Let me talk to the young people because I I don't want to do a service without the older people. Maybe I can talk to the younger people and say, come on, you guys, let's just sing the old hymns. Who cares? We're worshiping the same God. Let's just sing those hymns, you know, for them so we can be in one service with them. And (laughs) I just thought, wow, what a crazy idea to actually consider others more important than yourself. 
And I thought, what if there was a church where the elderly people said, you know what, I, I, I don't want to be in service without those young faces. And so if I want to sing, if they want to sing that music, that's fine. I'll sing it, but I'm not going to sacrifice me being in that circle with those young people. I love their energy. I want them with me. Man. Wouldn't it be awesome to have churches where we're fighting because we're going, no, 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 the young people are going, no, we're going to sing the old hymns. No, we're going to sing your songs. We're going to sing your songs. And the old people go, no, 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 I want Hillsong, you know, and, and it's just, I care, I consider you in humility, I consider you more important. I mean, that type of unity. I was with your pastors earlier, and I said, what if this, what if this happened as we gathered with like, like 50 of your church leaders, and I, I was saying, man, what if Vancouver was the one city where God looked down and he saw the pastors of all the churches, and he heard their prayers, and he saw that each pastor was actually praying for other pastors more than himself. I mean, what if? I mean, just try to imagine this. Just try to imagine. Because, look, we get caught up in our own kingdoms. We get caught up in our own stuff. When I pray, I pray for me a lot. But what if God saw me on my knees going, God, forget it. I, I, it doesn't matter. It's not about my church, man. That church down the street. God, Trinity Baptist right there. Lord, I want them to flourish. Please, God, I don't care. I just want your name lifted up. And so, God, I pray for revival in that church. I pray that pastor would be so filled with the Spirit. I mean, what if? Because I highly doubt that has happened in any city on this planet yet. And I just gave that vision to the pastors. I go, what if it started here? I mean, it doesn't have to be San Francisco. I just want to see it. I just want to see a place where people are really concerned about the glory of God and saying, all I want is the name of Jesus lifted. And so if that's at that other church, great God, please just make it happen because I want Jesus, Jesus, Jesus lifted up. Man. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. And then there was the third passage you guys read, which was John 17. And John 17 was, is a passage that I've been struggling with. Because Jesus' prayer, I mean, we all like it. We think, okay, that's cute. He wants us to be one. But listen to the words. There's a couple of phrases in there that have really tested my faith. He says this. In verse 22 of John 17, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. That phrase, even as, listen to what he's praying. He's saying that they may be one even as we are one. Wait, even as we are one? He's talking to the Father. Do you think the Father and Son are pretty tight? You think there's a oneness between the Father and Son? 
I mean, I, it's probably something we can't even fathom how one they are. When Jesus says, look, if, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father, we're one. I mean, we're, we're, we're totally one. We worship this mystery, and yet Jesus says, Lord, I, I pray that they would become one even as. It's like to the same extent that you and I are one, I want them to be one with us. I want them to have this unity. In verse 23, he says, I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Perfectly one. Have you ever even dared to believe that could happen? See, as you, as you look up here at me, some of you are probably thinking, okay. I could get along with him. I, I could put up with him if he was in my church. But you guys, that's not what this passage is. That's not what Jesus prayed for. I, I, I want you to imagine, like, could you imagine being one, like the Father and Son are one? That type of unity. See, for years I was a pastor. I never even thought that type of unity could happen in the church. Because there's people in the church that I loved, and then there's others that I, I put up with, you know, and I felt like I was loving towards them by just, you know, letting them keep coming. Uh, but I, don't, I, I didn't take this verse seriously and say, okay, Jesus, you want me one to the extent that you and the Father are one. God, help me. Help, help this happen. This is, this is going to take a miracle. So he doesn't want us, as we gather together and say, man, well, this is a great start. This is a great start. You know, voices together. But, but, but what he says is, I, I want more than the voices together. I want you more than just singing together. I want you to be one like the Father and I are one. I want that type of unity. I want you to look around and go, man, if any of these guys was on the street, that's like my brother, that's like my sister. If you're dying and missing a kidney, man, you're my brother. This is eternity. That's what that early church was about. They said, we just saw someone rise from the dead. You think we care about our possessions? Look, if my brother's in need, I'm going to sell my stuff and give it to him because we're together forever. I just saw someone rise from the dead. It's about this eternal perspective that, that look, I'm going to be looking at some of you a thousand years from now. Think about that. That's insane. And if we can, and what God says is, I want you to start living that way and looking at each other in that way, perfectly one, just like the Father and Son. But the other phrase in that passage in verse 23 uh, that, that, that was so hard for me to accept was the phrase, so that. He says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So that? I 
I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you've loved me. That's, that's, a, that's a weird phrase to me. It, it, somehow he's saying that if we're perfectly one, the world will believe that Jesus is the Messiah? See, that's a weird equation to me. I, I, I like math. I, you know, I, I love math. I, I'm Chinese. I, I, so I, I like, you know, hey, two plus two is four. I know. You know, it's just, it's, it calculates, it adds up, it makes sense. This plus this equals this. But what Jesus is saying here, in my mind, I go mathematically and logically doesn't make sense to me. You're saying that if we are one, perfectly one, he says, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And I read that, I go, God, why would our oneness cause all those people out there who don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, who believe that there are a million different ways to heaven, who don't believe in a future judgment, don't believe God is able to judge or can tell us what is right and wrong, so somehow all we have to do is be one, and they're going to believe that Jesus is the Messiah? and that we are loved by God? See, to me, I go, that doesn't seem like the right equation. In my mind, if you, I'm thinking, how do we get those people out there to believe in Jesus? My logic says, well, let me, let me go to the scriptures. Let me show them um, some prophecies. Let me show them how these Old Testament prophecies came true in Jesus. Let me show them historically, archaeologically, how this happened and this happened, and it was all shown ahead of time. Or maybe, maybe, God, maybe through miracles. If you, if you did a miracle in me, if I said, hey, watch this, and I just flew over them, you know, or, or something, or I just grew like eight inches. Like, if you did something, then they would go, Okay, okay, I believe. If I could call down fire from heaven like Elijah did, then they would believe. See, that's logical to me. But what Jesus' equation, he says, no, when you guys are perfectly one with each other and with God, then they're going to start believing that Jesus is the Messiah. And at some point, we've got to start trusting the words of God See, because too often, I, man, I, I grew up in the, the time when they, you know, they told me in youth group, hey, just get the quarterback, the cheerleader, you know, all the popular kids, and they'll draw the other kids, and then have these, you know, these events and these events, and then it'll get everyone to believe. And then in the Christian world, we start thinking, yeah, 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 let's get some celebrities, let's get Shania Twain, and I don't know any other Canadians, and, uh, and let's get... Uh, <laughs> Who else? You know, this guy who's Jersey. You know, let's get uh, them to share their testimony. And then, you know, maybe that will bring them. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not it. He says, I want you to be one. And when you're perfectly one, that's what's going to prove to the world that I'm the Messiah. You know? And... <laughs> That's his plan. And so Satan's doing everything he can to separate us, to divide us, to cause us to fight about the dumbest things, to be competitive with one another. And we've got to see past that. 
and go, no, this is what's going to work. I mean, that's our motivation. Look, your motivation for being one with me should not be, oh, that guy's cool. I think I can get along with him. Okay, I'll be one with you, or let's just do it just for the heck of it. No, the plan is if we do that so that the world may believe. We do this because I've got friends that don't believe in Jesus. They just think, oh, he's, you know, he's just like all the other religious leaders. He was just a good teacher. I'll take some of those thoughts and some of these. I have friends that are headed for an eternity apart from him. And so, so that's my motivation for being one with you. It's like, okay, we got to do this. He says it's going to work. And this book is filled with things that should not have worked. It shouldn't have worked to march around a city seven times. That's stupid. <laughs> right? This is all about plans to show you that, look, it's not about your plan. It's about obedience to what God called you to do. If he says march around that city, march around the city. And in his word, he's saying, I want you to be one. And so you go, okay, God, I'm going to put aside all the thoughts of what I think will lead the world to believing in you, and I'm going to follow your plan. I mean, Paul, Paul I think Paul took it a step further, okay, in Philippians 1. Listen to what he says, Philippians 1, verse uh, 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God. Wow. That's crazy. Paul says, if you guys would just learn to, to, to walk side by side with one mind, like all of us, not thinking about ourselves, going, man, no, 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 whatever you want, it's, it's about you, it's, it's about him, it's about his glory, striving side by side for the gospel, for the good news the good news that we are all sinners before the Lord. But God saw us in our wickedness. And, and even though while we were sinners, he sent his son. He demonstrated his love for us. And Christ died for us. And he rose from the grave, ascended to heaven. He's returning to judge. He says, you strive side by side fearless. I know the world doesn't believe that. He says, but I want you united in one mind going, no, I'm going to preach that. I'm going to preach that. And we're striving side by side. He goes, you do that and be unafraid. See, a lot of times we get afraid of all the changes in our world. And we're like, oh, no, they're doing this now. Oh, no, they're doing this now. What's going to happen, you guys? The end's already written. We know how it ends. We shouldn't be afraid. We know, okay, some things are going to get worse. There's this antichrist that's going to come. It's going to get really bad. And it's like, I'm not afraid. Jesus says, hey, when all these things start happening, just lift your heads. That's, you don't need to be afraid. And the Bible says, Paul's saying, look, when you're striving side by side, not afraid of anything, not afraid of your opponents, he says, then, that's the crazy part of that verse, he says, then they will believe in their own destruction. 
See, that's even more far-fetched to me. He goes, they're going to believe in their destruction? No, there's no way. No one believes in their destruction. No one believes in a future judgment. Man, I have a hard time even telling the church to believe in a future judgment. And you're telling me the world's going to believe in it? And they're going to believe in our salvation? Just by our unity and our courage? Doesn't seem to make sense. I mean, like I said, we live in a time when people don't even believe that God judges anymore. People in the church are saying, well, I don't believe that a loving God would judge. I'm like, have you ever read this? I mean, you get to like page three and he kills everyone. You know? Yeah, the loving God drowned everyone. It's like, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. I just focused on the ark. It was so cute. And I'm like, no, that's what it is. It's this loving God who, who looked at the, he said, I'll, I'll kill the firstborn of everyone in Egypt. Man, that's what God writes about. It's about him opening up the earth and literally swallowing people up. That's, a, that's what I read about. And some of you guys may be saying, well, Francis, you're just quoting all Old Testament. Yeah, because he really mellows out in Revelation. <laughs> it's just like all cute things. You guys, the Bible says, this world is coming to a crazy end. Read the end of this book. It's, it's like this bittersweet thing. You, you see John eating the scroll, and he said, it tastes good in my mouth, but it made me sick to my stomach. And that's what end times is all about. It's like there's a side where we're like, yes, Lord, oh, this tastes good. And then there's this sick side of, wait, but there's people I love. And what the Word of God says is you, you want to reach them? Here's your best shot. Unity. Put aside your differences. Become perfectly one as a father and son are one. Learn to strive side by side. And guess what? People are going to start believing in a future judgment. They're going to believe that Jesus really does love us and he saved us. I want to pray for the church in Vancouver. In fact, right now I want to pray for this city more passionately than I pray for my own city. Because I really don't care. I don't really care where it happens. I just want to see the miracles I read about in this book. You know? Or somehow like some sort of holy fire comes down from heaven and everyone just is in awe of Him. I don't even have to be there to see it. I just want to know that it happened and that there's a group of people just trembling before God because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and to understand, okay, there really is a God like that. There really is a God with that type of power. And then to understand that he loves them and that, that, that power that they fear can be the very power that protects them and gives them the security 
for me to know that that being up in heaven right now is calling me his son. It's like, oh, whom shall I fear? I just want to see that happen somewhere. And so can we just unite again right now? Put all our differences aside. You may want to close your eyes. You may want to stand. You may want to kneel. But all of us There's times in the Bible when it says all the people came together as one man. Like they were so together, it was just like one person talking. Can we aim for that right now? Just say, let's just, let's just try to put all of our thoughts together and all agree that we just want to see the glory of God. And we just want the name of Jesus lifted up. Father, there, there's divisions in this room that you see that I can't see. And I pray that you would just get rid of those right now, Father. God, our lives are too short. We agree that you alone are immortal. We agree that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We agree that we are only breathing because you let us. Father, we're in agreement that if you didn't love us and send your son to die for us, we would have no hope. We agree that if your son did not rise from the grave and conquer death, we would have no future. We agree that if you did not send your Holy Spirit to indwell us, we couldn't know you or have the power to do anything. Father, we're in agreement that we want the church to be beautiful. We don't know how to bring unity. But the theological differences, differences in morality, all of us thinking we're so brilliant, we don't know, God, but Jesus prayed for it, and so we want it because we want Vancouver to believe and to fear you, to love you, to know you. And so God, would you please do something, whatever it takes, God, even if it hurts. God, if it involves suffering, 
sacrifice would you bring unity and true love into the body in Vancouver I pray for all the religious leaders all the pastors would you humble them all and give them tremendous love for each other like in no other city. May they wake up tomorrow miraculously with a profound love for the other leaders in the city to where they intercede for them and pray your blessings upon them. And may that trickle down into all of the congregations that you would do something like you've never done before and make us one. In Jesus' name we pray.